I want you to think about this word, superlative. And I'm going to have a contest right now. Get out your phones, whatever device you've got. Contest is this. First person who can stand up and read the definition of the word superlative for us is my winner. Sorry. Oh, read it. Go for it, Shalise. Of the highest quality or degree. Um, come up here, please. <laughs> Your prize is that you get to pick the person you would like to come and help me now. Emily, wait, wait. Oh, hang on. Oh. Anybody. <laughs> Thomas. Okay, Thomas, come up here. I have a job, Thomas, for you to do. What? I have three. <laughs> He's ready. I've got three candy bars. Heath, Cadbury, Carmelo with milk, chocolate, creamy caramel. Hershey's cookies and cream. I, I want you to put these in order of good, better, and best. There is, yeah. Wait, so is there actually wrong answers? No, there's not a wrong answer. What would you... Wait, do I arrange them in your hands? Um, just tell us which one is good, better, and best. Good, better, best. All right. This one is the best, and um, that means it's yours. Yeah. Take it back. Thank you. All right. Now... Uh, think about that. I want to do a little bit of reflection with you for a second. Uh, this is the word superlative, of the highest quality or degree. So we do this good, better, best. What's the superlative? The best. It's not good. It's not better. It is best of the highest quality or degree. And we have lots of superlative words out there. Now, how do you determine what is best? How did Thomas determine what is best? Was he judging on flavor? Was he judging on size? He chose the biggest one, I noticed. So was it size? Was it flavor, Thomas? Do you know for you? Flavor. flavor. He went for flavor. You could have gone on size. You could have maybe had some other criteria. What would my girlfriend like the best because I'm going to give that to her. So that's the best or whatever it is, right? You could have had a bunch of different criteria for good, better, and best. So is what is superlative simply a matter of subjective opinion? Well, you could think of other examples where we appeal to an objective standard for what is best. Um, take some pickup truck commercials, for example. They appeal many times to some objective things. Horsepower, which one can pull the heaviest load? Maybe longevity, studies have shown that this truck lasts longer than the other competition. They're trying to appeal to an objective standard to say which truck is the best. Now, obviously there's subjective things in there too. Which one do you like looks of the best and all that, but they're looking at objective standards as well. So objective standards for what is superlative can be measured or tested. Now, 
I want to make a claim and see if you agree with me. Here's the claim. I believe that God is in the best position to judge what is best. I am guessing most of you agree with that. Um, God knows all the factors that could be taken into account, that should be taken into account. He knows the subjective factors as well as the objective factors, doesn't he? God not only knows what is, but God knows the, all the possibilities. God knows what could be. So if this happens, then this would be the result. God also knows not just the what could be, but what will be. God knows that this will be what is chosen, therefore this will be the result. His understanding has no limit. So God, I believe, is in the best position to judge what is best. What I want us to do today is focus our attention on the superlative um, concept. And we're going to narrow it down a little bit more because there's a lot that you could say from Scripture that is superlative. We could talk about God himself. He is the most powerful, the most knowledgeable. He is the most holy, etc., etc., etc. God is superlative. We could talk about theology in that way. Um, we could make the claim and defend it that living according to God's commands is the best way to live. It's the best for us. It, it leads to our greatest good, and that's another superlative conversation we could have, but today, and then the next couple of times that I preach in chapel this semester, I want us to focus in on what I'm going to call the superlative virtue. And the superlative virtue is love. I want to demonstrate that to you from the Bible. I don't think I'm going to have to work very hard. There's some very um, explicit texts that help us see this. So I would like to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, I'm going to focus you in on the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 12. You know that some people call 1 Corinthians 13 the love chapter. But at the end of chapter 12, as he transitions in there, he's been talking about spiritual gifts. And he gives us the whole analogy of the body, and you know, if the body were an eye, if the whole body were an eye, we're the sense of hearing, be, and all that. We need one another, and he's talking about that, and he's talking about gifts. And he says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. So he's making some distinction. There's the good, better, best kind of thing starting to happen here. Something is greater than something else. And he says, and I show you a still more excellent way. That's the... New American Standard Version, um, the ESV puts it very similar, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The NIV simply puts it in the superlative, and now I will show you the most excellent way. What's the best? There's good and better, but what's the best? And Paul says, I'm going to give you what's best right now, and he launches into chapter 13 about love. And he sets up a series of comparisons. I'm not going to read them all, and you know them, but if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I have this gift of languages, but I don't have love, I'm just making noise. 
and prophecy and faith and supreme sacrifice, all of these comparisons he makes, but he goes, if I don't have love, it amounts to nothing. I am nothing. I gain nothing. It's all a hill of beans. If I don't have love, none of that makes any difference. And then look at um, the beginning of chapter 14. He, he's continuing in this thing of love. Actually, pick up in verse 13 of chapter 13 first. He says, now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The superlative, the best, is love. And then 14, he goes back into pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And then he starts categorizing it, especially prophecy. And he goes into this whole comparison about how prophecy is better than the gift of tongues or languages because it edifies. And so he is comparing those again. So we have the superlative there. Now, where did Paul get the idea that love is the superlative virtue? I think he got it from Jesus. I don't think that's a mystery. Go to Matthew chapter 22, and we'll start in verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34. Uh, But when the Pharisees heard that he, that is Jesus, had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, if you love God and love your neighbor, you can summarize the entire will of God for your life. All of the law, everything God commands you to do, everything he wants you to do, all of the expression can be summarized. Love God, love your neighbor. And of course, if you love God perfectly, then you will love your neighbor. That's why it's number one, because God is the one who created all the people and God's the one that loves the people and God's the one that cares for them and and made them in his image. And so if you love God perfectly, you're going to love what he loves and you're going to love other people. So there you go. That's the superlative commandment. Love. God first. Others flowing out of that. So again, the idea that we are finding love to be the superlative virtue. Now, Scripture goes beyond just establishing love as the superlative virtue, and you already saw it there. He, that, that was in the form of a command. You shall love the Lord your God. This is something you should do, not just something that is the greatest command. It's something that we ought to do. But I want to make that more explicit. Adopt love as our superlative virtue. The Bible would call us, every one of us, to adopt love as our superlative virtue. Virtue, And so I want to take you to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and make this explicitly clear. Colossians 3, 12 and following says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, there's God's love for us, 
Clothe yourselves. This is something you should do. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and faithfulness. And then, watch what he says. <coughs> Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. He just listed all these virtues that we should have. It's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, patience, all that. Forgive, bear with each other. And over all of them, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In other words, all, all you really need is love. If you do love, you would be humble. If you do love, you would be patient. If you do love, you would be all of those things, because that's what love is. In fact, interesting, in the book of 1 John, we don't need to turn there, um, the claim is made more than once that God is love. Now, I would just say, maybe a quick moment of insight into that would be from Colossians to realize, I'd say that God embodies all of those virtues and he himself in his own character binds them all together in perfect unity. God is love. That's why John says that in that way. God is love. He binds all those character qualities together. But I don't want you to miss the point. The Bible is calling us to adopt love as our supreme virtue. So what we need to do, go over to the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. Read down to 10. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Same thing. You can sum it all up. In that one command, love, love your neighbor and you'll have fulfilled everything else. All the other commands. You won't commit adultery if you love because you would realize how unloving it is to do that. You won't steal if you love because you realize how unloving it is to steal from you. None of those commands would you break if you love. So it's a beautiful thing. And it's the calling for us to adopt love as our superlative virtue. One more text I want to take you to is in Ephesians chapter 5. So flip over there quickly. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved. There's, we are Dearly loved children, again, coming in. His love for us. And verse 2, and walk in love or live a life of love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Be imitators of God. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved you. 
gave himself for us. We're called to adopt for ourselves the superlative virtue of love. Um, I want my life to be characterized by love. I want it really badly, deeply, and I hope you do too for your life. Um, if Ryan Ward is remembered for anything, I want to be remembered for being a man of love. I'd rather be known to be a man of love than to be really smart, which I'm not, or to be really eloquent, which I'm not, or any of those things. I would rather be known to be a person of love. Now that's hard, isn't it? Because like I fail every day and I find that I am so finite. I am so limited. I don't have capacity to love as I would like to love because to love as I would like to love means that I would, I would live with you guys 24-7 and my family 24-7 and my church family 24-7, right? Because I, it starts to look a lot like heaven or something. If I was to love like I want to love, it would be unbroken fellowship and every single need that's ever out there, I would go meet it. And of course, I have no capacity to do that. I'm not enough for my own family, let alone enough for this MBC family, let alone enough for my church family. And it's small. I'm not enough. And yet, I want to live a life of love. And in the body of Christ, the really sweet thing is that if we all learn to live a life of love, then there gets to be enough to go around. But if it's only one or scattered people trying to live a life of love, then we run out of capacity really quickly. So it's a calling on all of us to all live a life of love because if every one of us is to experience it, we're going to all need to embrace it. There was um, a time, I don't even know how many years ago now, where I was really challenged with this concept. And I said, like, yes, God, I want my life to be characterized by love. And I made the conscious decision that I began signing all my correspondence with words of love. So I'll say things like, with love in Christ, or with love in the Lord, or simply with love in my correspondence. Now, I'm really careful with that with the, the women around me. Some of you single ladies in here, you're like, I haven't seen that. You write just in Christ or something. Well, that's probably true, because I want to be really careful that I don't have a miscommunication and have people think it's some sort of romantic love, when that's not what I mean. I mean Christian love. I mean that kind of love. And so you'll see it in, in letters out to the whole class or to a larger group of people like the whole staff, then it's going to come of, with love in Christ, with love in the Lord. That's how I sign it. It's, it's not a huge thing in my life, but I want it to be communicated to the person that I'm writing to that it's a heart of love behind what I've written. Whether that's a simple thing to fix a student's grade that was wrong I want you to know that I did that because I, I ultimately I love. Or whether that's a, a word that you need to speak to somebody that might be hard to hear. And yet you say, I want you to know that's spoken in love. 
or whether that's uh, informational email to our staff, I want them to know daily, on a daily basis, that I love them. And it's a reminder to me, every time I sign that, is my heart, is this motivated by love? Is what I just said the loving thing to say? Is what I just did the loving thing to do? So it's a good reminder to me to check all of that that goes, no, that's just correspondence. Obviously, life is a lot bigger than correspondence. There's so much more to life than just writing stuff. So that's one little tiny way I've tried to apply that in my life. How else might that get applied in our lives? Oh, wow. That could get really big. A huge discussion there. And in fact, I want to spend the next couple of chapels this semester going after some of that on a more practical level. What, what does love look like in some of the nitty-gritty where maybe we need to get down to applying love into our relationships? I would like to address... I think this is my next slide. Oh, I forgot that one. I'd like to address all of you as family for a minute because that's how I see you. All of you as students, all of you as staff, faculty members, I want to address you as family, and I want to give you commendation. I want to tell you that I see so many acts and words of love being expressed around here. And no, I know we don't all do it perfectly. We fail. But yet, nevertheless, I think it's undeniable. It is true that this place is characterized by and large, overall, as a place where, where love is expressed, isn't it? I just caught Weston's eye. He was telling me about fixing cars for some of you whose vehicles break down. That's love, isn't it? Praise God for that. That's an act of love to do that. Others of you are cooking food and inviting people over for meals. I heard about an apartment full of guys that's inviting other people into their apartment, people they might not normally connect with. That's love flowing in this place. I commend you for this. Well done, all of you. Well done, MBC family. Uh, we were at our faculty meeting the other day over lunch, and one of the faculty members um, just mentioned how he and his wife have been having another one of our students and his wife over for dinner and working at some relational things. I don't even know who that couple is. And yet that's love being expressed as people invite others into their home. Praise God for that. Well done. Well done. You can clap yourselves on the back or something like that. Good job. Um, keep that going. It's a beautiful thing. I also want to give you a word of exhortation. And this is not an exhortation that flows out of a bad job. You're not doing it. More of a let's abound still more kind of exhortation. It's a wonderful thing that we've got going. Let's bring it up. Let's keep it going. Let's fuel the flame. Let's go for, forward and further. And I want to exhort you personally. On this day, this October 18th, 2018, I want to exhort you to consciously, purposefully, today, 
adopt love as your supreme superlative virtue. Make this a day where you walk away from this day saying, I have resolved in my heart to become more and more and more a person of love. That is the resolution of my heart. I drove the stake in the ground today, October 18th, 2018. Put it in your journal. (laughs) Go for it. Write it down. Say, I have purposed in my heart today to become more and more characterized as a person of love. It's absolutely black and white, unequivocally the will of God for you. And the more you take on in attitude and action point of love, the more you'll reflect him. Because God is love. And he binds all those other virtues together in perfect unity in his character. And the more you clothe yourself with love, the more you will bind all those other virtues together in perfect unity. You love. What I want to do is to give you a moment, um, in just a moment, don't move yet, I want to break you into groups. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond a little bit. You don't need to hear Ryan talking, so I'm going to do this. In groups of three or four people, I'd like to see you share either a story of how your love for God has grown already, a story of how someone has loved you. Just share that out loud or a statement to express how you are adopting the supreme virtue of love in a fresher, deeper way today. You just tell other people that. Are you ready? Get into groups right now, three or four people in a group, and address one of these, each person at least. Talk something about that. Okay, go. We don't have a lot of time, so move right now quickly. Get into groups. Talk with each other. I will close us in prayer in a couple of minutes. Hey, everybody, I'm going to lead you in prayer as we close today. Sorry to interrupt all of your good conversations. Please feel free to keep them going after I um, dismiss you, okay? Let's pray. Father, we want to come before you right now as the Montana Bible College family. And first of all, give you great praise for your love for us and the myriad of ways that you have shown that love for any in our midst today who are are doubting or struggling. We would ask that you might remind and just overcome that line of the song at the beginning, love like a hurricane, just uh, overcome us with the realization of your love for your children. And then, Father, we also come before you as a NBC family to commit ourselves to a culture of love to being a community of people where love is flowing, it's active, it's vibrant. And Lord, we pray that you would so work in every one of our lives that we, as we become followers of Jesus, 
that more and more our character would be shaped to be people of love. And that as we go out from this place, as you would graduate us and move us on and, and place us in, in homes and ministries and occupations and all these places, that you would spread an attitude and the actions of love everywhere we go through our lives. We would be known as people of love. And so it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.